Jeremy, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Eric, he's, he's not here today. Um, he's actually away uh, for a, a speaker retreat. He, he speaks with a ministry called Family Life four times a year, uh, where he, he, he speaks to, to marriages all over the country. Um, so be praying for, for our pastor, Eric, while he's away. Um, but with that, here at the Brook, we have, like I said, uh, amazing things going on. If this is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. I pray that God would um, stir your heart um, to himself, uh, that you would sense his love through us. Um, meet us at the welcome table. Afterwards, we have a gift for you. We'd like to get to know you. And you can fill out one of those, those cards, and we can just keep in touch with you that way. Um, one of the things that God is doing here at the Brook is he is pushing our church uh, to, to emphasize our mission, to specifically focus on our mission. Uh, when we planted this church about three years ago, uh, we planted the church with a desire to lead the thirsty to the water of life, hence the name the Brook. And the water of life is Jesus. And in uh, this third year, one of the ways that we want to see that come to pass is by seeing 200 people, seeing 200 people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ from 80 people from the Brook family. Got that? I'm going to break that down for you. 200 people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ from who? From 80 people from where? From the Brook family. And what that means is we have this goal to, to accomplish that by April 30th, three months. And the reason why is because we believe that God is calling us to, to get back on mission, our, 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 our bootstrapped, and, and hit the block. And with that, we want to be faithful, want to be faithful to God. So, so what that could look like is you evangelizing one-on-one, telling one person once a month from now to April, and you can help us. 80 people can help us or more can help us allow 200 people to hear the gospel. And we can't do this alone. It can't just be myself and Pastor Eric and and the real community leaders. So we want to mobilize you. So one of the ways that we're going to be doing that in this this next season is we're going to be training you on how to share your faith one-on-one with somebody at your job, um, in your family, and in your neighborhood. So we want to really invite you, want to press on, want to press you to come to our real community gatherings. As Joanne said, we have five throughout the northwest side, and we're going to be training on what it looks like to share our faith. And if you're part of that training, you'll be one of those 80 or more. We want to see more. 80, 80 is at the, 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 the bottom number. We want to see more mobilized to share their faith, and we want to go together. And right now, in, in this, uh, at this time, we're going to continue our, our sermon series called Pray It Up. And uh, through this series, what we've been looking at is how we want to see God grow us, we want to go, and we want to give to God. And that takes an attitude of prayer, a posture of prayer to God. If, if, if this is your first time being acquainted with anything about Jesus, prayer simply is communication with God. Plain and simple. It's communication with God where you speak to God and God speaks to you uh, because of his son, uh, Jesus. And today, we're going to be emphasizing our theme of going, of praying so that we go, 
so that God mobilizes us, so that God moves us to share the gospel here on the northwest side of Chicago. Because the mission didn't stop when we began to see the church grow. The mission continues forward. God gives us more capacity so that we can give more of ourselves. But it starts with prayer. So if you'll join me in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And in the Pew Bible, that's page 814. If you could turn there with me. We're going to be looking at this mandate to pray so that we go. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. If you don't own a Bible, consider it yours. Um, the one in the Pew Bible, you can, you can take that home, read it. If you need some, some help reading it, understanding it, see myself. But we're in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send send out laborers into his harvest. Father God, we just come before you at this moment, Lord. God, we want to hear from you. Lord, we want to hear from your word. We want a fresh encounter with you, Lord. So we are begging you, asking you, pleading with you that you speak to us at this moment. Lord, your word has all authority. Lord, your word is true. Father, it is profitable for correction, for rebuke. Lord, it is profitable for our lives, for wisdom. God, and right now, Lord, we just want to approach your text with the focus that it deserves. Lord, so I pray, Lord, that you would fizzle any distraction in our minds, Lord. Any worry that we might have, Lord, I pray that we would just give that over to you right now. Lord, and that we would be nourished and that we would sit at your feet And learn and grow. Father, we want to go, Lord. And in your text, Lord, today, we want to be mobilized. Father God, I'm just grieved, Lord, even as I preach this morning. Lord, just hear about the the murders that have happened over this weekend in Chicago. Lord, we grieve with our city, Lord. And we, 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 we ask you, Lord, to intervene, Lord. We pray that you would mobilize more church planters, mobilize more disciples, Father, to be in the places where nobody wants to go. Lord, and I pray that you would bring restoration, God, here on earth. Give us a glimpse of your glory so that people may see that you are God. Lord, I pray, God, 
that you would stir our hearts to that end even today as we, as we look at your text, Lord. Father, let the meditations of my heart and the words that I speak be pleasing to you, Lord. Erase me, Lord. I can't preach myself, God. I can't preach myself. Lord, I just want to preach you, God. So I pray, Lord, that you put the focus on yourself, Lord, that I would get out the way. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in our text today, we're confronted with a commandment. We're confronted with an imperative. Jesus, in verse 38, is telling his disciples what to do. It's not a question of if, and, or buts. It's just do it. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more labors into his harvest. You know, as I think about prayer, and as I think about the work that needs to be done in our broken world, the work that needs to be done in our fallen world, I think of a man named Peter. I heard this story recently about this dude named Peter. He was actually a slave. He was a slave in Asheville, North Carolina. If you know anything about American slavery, you know that it was one of the most atrocious, if not the most atrocious time in our country's history. Where men and women, entire families were treated as less than human. And here this man, Peter, he came to faith through one of his owners. And you could just imagine what his life was like. He, he probably experienced, no, he did experience the atrocities that came with slavery. Yet Peter was known as a praying man. Peter was known as a man who he would sit in his front porch later in his life and he would sing and he would pray to God and people would notice. And it made an impact. And God is calling us to be like Peter. A man who prayed. And what's interesting about Peter is that Peter prayed because he had an eternal perspective on life. He had an eternal perspective on life that transcended the here and now. His heavenly reality, which was to come, surpassed anything he could go through now. Nevertheless, his heavenly reality helped him deal and have perspective in the here and now. Therefore, it led him to pray. It led him to ask God for things. It led him to plead with God that he would intervene in this life. And as I look at our lives, as I look at my life, Praying for God to have his way here on earth through my life is a difficult thing. Because I'm just like you. I have a lot of dreams for my life. I have a certain vision for my life. There's certain plans that I want for my life. I want things to go my way. That's my natural tendency. I'm just like you. But see, if you walk with God long enough, you know that your ways aren't his way. And sometimes we spend our time praying for God to do our way rather than do his way. Sometimes we pray for God to build our kingdom 
rather than asking God to send us to build his kingdom. And that leads us to frustration. And then when trials come, it leads us to doubt. It leads us to question God. It leads us to ask God, why? Why why did this happen? Why is this happening? And God might be saying, that's not what I wanted from you in the first place. I'm God, you're not. I know what's best. You don't know what's best. I'm Lord, you're not a good Lord. And here Peter was, a slave praying to God. Eventually he became a freed man. And he never lost that eternal perspective. And today in our text, we see a mandate, we see a commandment to pray in such a way that it aligns with God's kingdom. And I have one point. I have one point, and I'm going to give you three reasons why we should do this. Here's the point. The point of this passage is this. We need to beg God to push us out, to thrust us out, to shove us out into his harvest. We need to plead with God. We need to cry out to God to push us out into the places where he's already working. We need to ask God to push us out to work, to labor where he's already laboring. Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to plead with God and beg with God to push us out into the places where he's working. Well, the three reasons, there are three reasons in this text. The first reason why is because the harvest has been prepared. The harvest has been prepared. Read, read with me in verse 37. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, this is an observation that Jesus makes or an assessment that Jesus makes after he had been preaching and teaching and healing all day. Jesus had a busy schedule. As a matter of fact, if you were to read this entire chapter, what you would see is that Jesus healed two blind men. Jesus healed a woman who had a a blood disease. Jesus raised a, a, a girl from life to life because her father was desperately asking him to come and raise her from the dead. Jesus had a busy day. Jesus was on his grind. And here, his assessment is that the harvest is plentiful. He was drawing an illustration. You see, in ancient Israel, there, it was an agricultural society. So harvest was a big deal. And harvest is a time where crops that were being grown, food, that's food that was planted, would, was ready to be gathered. People would labor hard. They would plant seeds. They would till the soil. And then they would wait on God to provide rain. And they would also plant themselves or plant their crops on good soil, good and fertile soil. 
And then when it would rain, they would, they would, they would keep that water through this process called irrigation. And they would, they would cultivate the soil. But ultimately, they relied on God to bring the growth of these crops. Here, Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful. He's saying that the harvest is ready to be gathered. It's ready to be taken. You just got to go and get it. What's the harvest, though? The harvest is broken people. The harvest is our broken world. Read with me starting at verse 35. It says, And Jesus went through all, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. Say every disease. In every affliction. Say affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. Say harassed. And helpless. Say helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. You see the description? Don't miss it. Don't miss the description. The description is that they were diseased. That they were afflicted. That they were harassed or oppressed. Taken advantage of. These people were in dire circumstances, disease. Have you ever been sick, just feeling miserable, waiting for you to be mobile again? These people were sick, tangibly sick. They were really sick. And it says they were helpless. They needed rescue. And here, Jesus says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And now he's taking you all the way back all again. He's a sheep, sheep in those days and still today were known as some of the dumbest animals ever. Okay? They just needed direction because they were aimless. They were defenseless. They needed help. They were in danger so they could be oppressed. And Jesus has a long day healing and teaching and preaching. He looks at the crowds and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're aimless. So the harvest is an illustration of people who are aimless, diseased, afflicted, troubled, very problematic, lost, broken people and see the harvest is plentiful not only in ancient Israel the harvest is plentiful today the harvest is here it's all around us it might be here today the harvest is plentiful because we see friction in relationships right We see oppression in our world. We see oppression in our city. We see aimlessness. A lot of us, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing with our lives. You might even be successful. You might have all the money in the world. You might have a pretty wife. You might have a a, a fine husband. You might have it all. You might have a big house and yet still feel aimless. You might be afflicted. 
at our jobs, when we walk the block, when we go to the store, we see people who are troubled, can't even say good morning back, miserable. And the reason why we live in such a broken world is because of sin. Is because of sin. And sin started with a man named Adam. Adam was God's first human being that he created. And see, Adam, since the beginning, he chose to live outside of God's domain. God's domain was one in which he would experience a relationship that was unfulfilling. And in God's domain, Adam experienced flourishing. Adam had the opportunity through the work of his hands to have purpose, to have good for his life. But see, Adam made a mistake. He sinned against God. He chose to live outside of God's rule. And everyone after Adam has done the same thing. We were born with the same disposition. We were born with an inclination to live outside of God's rule and his design for our lives. We've decided, all of us, to try to flourish on our own terms rather than on God's terms, not knowing that our road ultimately leads to destruction. After Adam, sin just multiplied. It just, it just kept coming. So that, what ended up happening was brokenness just saturated the entire earth, and it's here today. It's here today. And you and I, my friend, are sinners just like Adam. We have all chosen to do things our own way outside of God. But here in the text, there's good news because Jesus is saying that his harvest comes from broken people. His harvest comes from sinful people that end up in brokenness. His harvest comes from people who have a history, a family history of brokenness and who have followed suit. He says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest needs to be gathered. There are broken people that God has prepared to meet him. There are broken people that God is preparing right now as I speak, as I preach, to come and meet Jesus. Because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest just needs to be gathered. Therefore, The first reason we need to pray for laborers, we need to pray for workers, is because God has primed up broken people to know him through his labor. Don't miss that. God has primed up people, is preparing people in your life right now, in your sphere of influence, to know him through you and through me. So that's the first reason. But the second reason is because the harvest desperately needs Jesus. More specifically, the harvest needs to hear the good news of Jesus. Read with me in verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of whose kingdom? 
his kingdom, of God's kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing. The harvest needs to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, Jesus, Jesus was a G. And Jesus was not afraid to speak truth. And Jesus would often go to synagogues. These were Jewish uh, congregations where they would assemble to worship God. And Jesus would show up in his hometown, and he would just walk into the synagogue, probably because he got invited because he was just nice like that with the words, and he was doing miracles. And he would show up in synagogues, and he would just start teaching people about himself. Man, isn't that fly? He would talk about who he is, and what he came to do here on earth. And in one instance, in Luke, in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 20, it says that Jesus went to the synagogue and he got up and he read a prediction from God. He read a prophecy. But check out what Jesus does after he read this prophecy. This, 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 is, this is dope. This is some fly stuff right here. He says, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Check this out. And the eyes of all in the synagogue, in a place just like this, were fixed on him. They were looking at him intently. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, like a G, reads the prophecy, drops the mic, sits down. Everybody's staring at him, and Jesus is just like, and he says, that's me. I'm, I'm fulfilling this prophecy. What you just heard happened today. And the prophecy that he read said he would set the captives free. He would heal the sick. And this is the good news of Jesus. That the world needed a new Adam. The world needed a new representative for humanity. And Jesus, being God, became a man just like Adam. He became just like Adam, but rather than living outside of God's rule and reign, he obeyed God the Father to the fullest. He was perfect. There was no wrong in him. He always did what was right before God. He pleased God fully, and God the Father loved him. And he was perfect because he was God. There was no sin in him. And Jesus took the penalty of sin. Jesus went on a cross. He came on earth to die on a cross for the penalty of sin because the penalty of sin is death. That's what you and I deserve for the sin that we've committed against God. That's what we deserve for living outside of God's rule. That's what we deserve for trying to build our own kingdom rather than building God's kingdom. Jesus took the fee of that. He paid the debt and he offered forgiveness through his resurrection. And through his resurrection, he conquered sin and death. Through his resurrection, he conquered all brokenness. And through his resurrection, he promised that he would make all things new. He was the new Adam. We needed a new representative. And the only way 
that we can be restored back to God in a way that starts now and transcends into eternity is by turning from your sin. From turning away from your life governed by sin, by living life your own way. Turning away from that, surrendering it, putting up your white flag and walking toward Jesus. And living under his rule, his good and perfect reign with plans to harm you, not to destroy you. Jesus came as the new Adam. Adam introduced sin, which leads to death. That's the current state of the harvest. The current state of the harvest is they're dead. Jesus introduced forgiveness of sin, which leads to eternal life, the destiny of the harvest. So right now the harvest is dead, but their destiny is eternal life. That bridge from deadness to eternal life is God mobilizing you to go out and tell them. That he came to bring good news. But that's not the only thing that Jesus gives the harvest, although that's sufficient enough. That's all we need. Our greatest need is to be reconciled back to God. But that's not the only thing that Jesus gives us. Jesus didn't just save us so that we can have eternal life. Jesus saved us so that we can be with him for all of life, including eternal life leading us into eternal life. So Jesus saved us right now so that he can be ruler in our lives here on earth. And that's why Jesus cares for the harvest while on earth. Verse 35 says, He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing, healing every disease and every affliction. You know, interesting enough, if you read through the life of Jesus, you'll see that the people who mostly came to Jesus were people who had ailments. And along with those ailments came uh, this, this, this oppression from society. They were neglected from society, pushed out into the margins. Those were often the people that came to Jesus. Because they understood that they needed him not only for their soul, but also for their body here on earth. You know, one day this this pastor named Brian Loritz, he was he was preaching, and and this self proclaimed atheist came came up to him um, after one of his, his his sermons, and and was pretty much like, "Hey, dude, why should why should I believe in God?" I mean, why, why should I believe in God? Because um, I'm unfulfilled, but I'm still atheist. And, and Brian Loritz, the, the, the pastor, he, he begins to tell him he, or ask him, he says, he says, hey, could you name an atheist who, who, who did good for the world? Could you just, could you just name one? And, and the dude couldn't. So Brian begins to tell him um, the things that, that uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, did in our broken world. He mentioned uh, things like, like orphanages. He, he, he talked about uh, emancipation from slavery. Uh, he talked about caring for, for the poor. And in one of his books, Brian said this. He said, the point of my history lesson was not to shame him, but to show him 
how all these individuals not only cared deeply for their community, they also bettered their world. Or excuse me, they cared deeply for their community and bettered their world. But they did so from the moral base of a Christianity that believes in a future hope. See, our belief in the resurrection of Jesus, our eternal standing with God transcends time and space now. Now. That's why we do good things. Because when we do good things on earth, it puts God on display. It puts God on display. So, coming into an eternal relationship with Jesus on earth doesn't mean that he abandons you until you meet him in heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. We will suffer. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer. You will suffer in this world. There is trouble awaiting you. You're either coming out of suffering, going into suffering, right? So Jesus doesn't promise a life outside of suffering, but Jesus shows glimpses of his eternal glory here and now. Sometimes God does not choose to heal us here and now. But he uses our experience to bring others to Jesus. Sometimes God does heal us in time and space so that we can lead others to Jesus. It's all for Jesus. It's all about his glory. It's all about seeing his eternal glory be known here on earth. And right now he's giving us glimpses. Because you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is complete. There's no holes in it. It transforms the entire person starting now. And we're all in progress. But at the end of the day, we will be made completely new in eternal life. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't make us or give us hints of his glory here on earth. So the next time God provides for your bills, the next time God heals you from a disease, the next time that you just sense his presence in the middle of suffering, that's God showing his glory here on earth, and he wants other people to see it through you. So the harvest has been prepared, but he has been prepared to meet and to know Jesus That is why we need to pray that God would mobilize us, that God would mobilize us to bring the good news of Jesus. And thirdly, this is the third reason why we need to pray is because the harvest needs laborers. The harvest needs laborers. The harvest needs laborers to have a vision just like Jesus. But this vision really is just a result of your prayer life. See, you won't see God's vision for life until you spend time with the God of all of life. As a matter of fact, you're blinded when you don't pray to your own devices. Verse verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, 
That's a timing statement. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, when he assessed the crowds, when he examined the crowds, when he looked at the crowds, when he looked at the people that you work with, when he looked at the broken people in your family, people who want nothing to do with Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, verse 36, it's in the text. It's in the text. He had compassion for them. He had compassion. He pitied them. He was concerned for them. He cared for them. This means that Jesus assessed the condition of the harvest. He took notice of it, and he had deep sympathy. And then in verse 37, at his assessment, he synthesizes his findings. Jesus is like, doing, is like the best research development, dude. Verse 37, he looks to his disciples, his clique, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of brokenness. I had a busy day. Y'all seen it, right? You saw how I healed two blind men in one day. You saw how I forgave Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was a corrupt city worker. You saw how I forgave him, right? And I came to his crib. You can read the whole chapter. It's in there. Came to his crib, had a party and all of that. You saw that, right? I care for people. And this harvest is plentiful, but we need more workers. We need more workers. And then this is the action item that he gives us. So Jesus makes an assessment. He synthesizes his assessment. He tells it to his disciples. And then he gives them an action item. And that brings us to today. Verse 38, it says, therefore, pray earnestly. That word pray can be beseech. Some of your Bibles might say, or ask. Some of your Bibles say, that word pray earnestly, beseech or ask, is to beg God, to plead with God. It's almost as if you're nagging God. God, please send out more people in this broken world. Send out more people to this sinful world. Pray earnestly is like you on your knees asking God, please send out more people because people are dying without you. But you said, God, that there's a harvest here. He says, pray. It's like those kids that keep asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or like those kids, I don't have any kids, but I've seen some kids who just keep asking, can I get the phone? Can I get the tablet? Can I get the tablet? Next hour. Can I get the tablet? Can I? You're like, yo, all right, just take the tablet. Just take the... You ain't even got to eat. Just leave me alone. That's what God wants from us. God wants us to persistently pray to him to send out more workers into the harvest because that's the way that God reaches them. Through people like you and me. People who believed in the labor of Jesus himself. You see, we don't labor to get into a relationship with Christ. There's nothing that you can do that can get you into a right relationship with God. There's nothing that you can do. You can try the, the, to be the best person. You can have a job, take care of all your kids. You can do all of that and still not be pleasing to God. 
God wants to have a relationship with you, and it only comes through your faith in him, your faith in his son Jesus, your reliance on him, your trust on him with all of your life. Because he labored. But see, when we accept his laboring for our lives, he mobilizes us to labor for him. And it's a labor out of love, not a labor to gain approval or acceptance. Here, Jesus is telling us to beseech, to ask. And the prayer request is to send out laborers into whose harvest? His harvest. He's telling us to to pray that we would ask God to send out more laborers into the harvest that he owns. Into the harvest that Jesus owns. Because Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of all. So we need to pray that God would mobilize the brook to reach the harvest that Jesus purchased through his death on the cross. We need to do that. We need to go out and tell people about Jesus. We need to go out as real communities in our community to to go heal the sick. We need to go out into our community and provide. And it's not, it's not just so we could provide mere services. Don't, 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 don't get it twisted. It's so that our community can know that God came on earth, dwelt among us, and he purchased a harvest for himself. And we want to respond with the gospel. We want to respond with that good news. God has prepared it. He has prepared the harvest to know Jesus. But the harvest needs laborers. And we need to go, but it starts with prayer. Sometimes we think that we're laboring for Jesus when really we're just laboring for ourselves. If you're just like me. It's through prayer where God gives us a vision and gives us a burden to reach people with his gospel so that they come into a relationship with Jesus. So those are the three reasons why we need to beg God. We need to almost nag God in a positive way because the harvest is plentiful and they're ready to be gathered. The harvest needs Jesus right now and the harvest needs labor. So we need to beg God to send out workers into his harvest field. We need to beg God that he would unleash us to tell people about Jesus. You know, when we do not pray for God to send us into his local harvest and his global harvest, it is because we're failing to see that God's harvest is ripe. It's because we're too concerned on ourselves. We're too focused on ourselves. You know, one interesting fact about, about Peter, the, 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 the man I mentioned in the beginning of my sermon, is that Peter being a praying man was also known as a man after God's own heart in such a way that he entrusted those things to his children. 
and he had a son named Milton. Milton was a church planter. He was a church planter during the Jim Crow era. That means that things were segregated. He planted a church during that era. He was like a superintendent of, of Bible studies at his church. And then Milton had a son named Crawford Loritz Sr. And Crawford Loritz Sr., he played in the Negro Leagues. He played baseball. And he was nice. He, 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 got, he got hurt at, at his job. Because in those days, if you played in the Negro League, you, you had to have another job to support you. That's, that's jacked up. He, he, he got her at his job, but he was known as a man who walked with God faithfully. Without the lights. Who loved God, loved his family. And Crawford Sr., who, who wasn't very well known, but he was known to walk with God. He had a son named Crawford Lurich Jr., and Crawford Lurich Jr. is a, a pretty well-known evangelist in our day today. He's a pastor today. And then Crawford Lurich Jr. had two sons named Brian Lurich. Sound familiar from before? Remember the dude talking to the atheist? Brian Lurich Jr. and had another son named Brendan Lurich. And they both became pastors. Five generations Five generations of faithfulness. Five generations of men going out into the harvest field of God, doing the work of God. And it all started with a praying man who was a slave oppressed here on earth. Peter. Sometimes we lack vision for legacy. That's why we don't pray. That's why we don't pray for God to send us out into the harvest field. That's why we don't pray for God to use the events in our lives for his glory. That's why we don't pray that God would use us to open up our lips and tell people about Jesus. It's because we have a dim view of God's glory. And God wants to do that through you and I. Today, starting today, starting today. Starting today, so the world, his harvest, would see him in all his splendor and majesty, and that they would enjoy him forevermore, starting now. So we do have a lofty goal. We want 200 people to hear the gospel, and we want to be mobilized to do it. But we have to pray for ourselves. We have to pray for one another that God would send us all out to tell people about Jesus. We need to ask God to give us a burden to be trained to know how to share our faith. I know that many of you are scared to share your faith one-on-one. It's a reality. It could be scary sometimes. But God has called us to do it. So we need to pray. We need to beg God. We need to beg God to push us out into his harvest. We need to beg God to push out more laborers into Africa, into the Middle East, into Cuba, into the northwest side of Chicago and beyond. Will you do it? Will you do it? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Father God, I just um, come before you, Lord. God, I pray that you would just allow your word to do surgery in our hearts, God. God, I pray, Lord, that today, Lord, we would see you for all that you are, God. That we would not be consumed by our own lives, God, but that we would rather use our lives for your glory, God. That you would give us this burden, God, to reach the lost with the gospel, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would that you would send out missionaries from the brook, Lord. I pray, God, that you would send out church planters from the brook, Lord. I pray that you would send out men who love their families in such a way, Lord, where they leave a legacy, a legacy of faithfulness. Father God, stir us up for you. Lord, send out more laborers into your harvest, God into our community, Lord. Connect us with people who don't know you, who you have prepared since eternity past to know you for eternal life. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Church family, maybe today you're here and you want prayer. And you can come up this morning to one of our prayer counselors and they they would be happy to pray with you about about you going out and sharing your faith. Maybe you need prayer for boldness to share your faith. Maybe you want to pray over yourself as you're trained to share your faith. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to believe in Jesus as your new representative for life. I would say that you come up this morning and pray with one of our counselors as we sing this song.
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. We sing holy and holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Holy, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me.
my eyes in wonder Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around